Hi, welcome to Folkcraft. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hi, welcome to Folkcraft. I'm your host, Temperance Holden. Today I have with me as a guest, Erin O'Baron, author of the book Southern Cunning. Oh, hi. <laughs> um, I'm Erin O'Baron. Um, I wrote a pretty good book once, Southern Cunning, Folklore of Witchcraft in the American South. Um, I'm mostly known for talking about witchcraft in the South, um, being a Florida witch, bioregionalism, animism, um, and more recently, uh, for my art. Um, and I would like to take just one second to do a land acknowledgement, um, that we are currently recording on unceded Seminole and Miccosukee land. And for more information on the history of indigenous Floridians, you can visit semtribe.com and stay informed by reading the Seminole Tribune. I think it's important as a bioregionalist, as an anonymist, that we are always elevating the voice of the indigenous people who are the original stewards of this land, um, even in small ways. I agree, and thank you for that. So today, we're going to be talking about the devil and the devil in folkloric magic and folk magic and American systems of magic specifically because we are both American and we are both in Florida and we're both folk witches. So we're going to break into that. So this is actually your topic. So what's kind of, what's grinding your years about it today? So I think for good reasons and for bad, the devil has become incredibly um, on one end of the spectrum really uh dare i say edge lord kind of you may say that it's true <laughs> uh, two extremes there's this kind of edge lord thing and then there's this reactionary satanic panic um i am an alternative religious practitioner and so i need to distance myself from the figure of the devil as much as possible and what i don't like about really either of those things um is that it really doesn't celebrate this kind of lauded history and intertwining and othering of the figure and figures that we call devils and the mantle and title of witch throughout specifically Europe um, and European descendants. So settler colonists that now live in America. Um, I think it's... It's something that a lot of people in the traditional witchcraft world and in the folkloric witchcraft world, people talk about the devil. We don't really have a consensus on what it is, but I think the community at large is still so scarred, again, rightfully so, from the satanic panic, um, that it's just immediate ostracization. So I would love to take some time and go through not just what the devil or devils is or are today for modern witchcraft, but also kind of talking about the biblical relevance of these words and these characters, the kind of medieval European, the witch hunts, how the devil manifests itself, what the literature says, who the devil is as a kind of stock folklore character, and how all of these things merge and and begin to shape a really messy and kind of beautiful tapestry of the history of witchcraft that I don't think a lot of people give enough time to. Yeah. You know, I, when, when you first brought up this topic, I had like a, a like knee jerk reaction. I know you saw it because we were on zoom and I was like, I don't know about that. Um, 
because not everyone in folk magic works with systems of devils you know um that's just fact i mean i and that's what's make is going to make this conversation so interesting is because we both practice folk magic we both practice animism we both practice power regionalism but i absolutely do not touch the devil like at all um which you know it's okay there's different systems of folk magic so um I think it's important before we even get into this is to kind of set some definitions out for anyone that's listening, because there's a few that kind of get commonly interchanged if you're coming off of Christianity. If Christianity has been your only reference, you're going to use three words almost interchangeably, and they're not interchangeable. Um, and those are the devil, Satan, and Lucifer. These words are not interchangeable. They each refer to a specific kind of spirit or deity or character whatever you want to call it um, it relates to something very specific so you know lucifer fallen angel is separate from satan is separate from the devil and then we're not even getting into at that point um you know the kind of Im imposition of the horned god onto that because the horned god takes it to another level of nuance yeah so i want to start this with kind of the oldest of those threes, which is Satan. Um, and I want to preface this by saying that I'm not a linguist, but none of these are really hot takes amongst uh, biblical scholars. And um, I will, of course, list all of the sources that I'm referring to. Um, hopefully we can toss those in the show notes. Um, but starting with Satan, this is a word that comes from Hebrew. And I've heard the pronunciation um, from people who are much well, much more well-versed in Hebrew than I am as Satan or Satan. Um, that sounded identical to me. I don't know how good it was. Um, but essentially that translates to adversary or accuser. And there are certain prefixes that kind of suggest a specific accuser. Um, but by and large, accuser appears in or Satan, Satan, occurs in the Old Testament pretty frequently, um, representing different figures who are in opposition to something. Um, of course, the most famous of these accusers would be uh, the Satan who tempted or who tempted the faith of Job. Um, I have this bad habit of kind of assuming that everyone knows what I'm referencing because I, you know. Look, like I'm going to give the TLDR for the listeners. So basically like God sat down with Satan, like Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh like Venmo or video chatted Satan and was like, hey, um, see Job over there? Try and fuck him up for me. Like see if he'll fall for it. And then Satan went and tried to do this. Right. So there's this exchange where... And, and interestingly, like, there's, there is no real, like, there is a biblical timeline, but it is incredibly fucked um, from our perspective. Um, and this should be taking place at a time where uh, Lucifer, I'm doing quotes here, has, like, fallen from grace, has rebelled, and so becomes conflated with this figure. So if we're looking at the kind of, I'm going to use my perspective coming from a Southern Baptist background where anything supernatural is the devil immediately. It's, it's kind of confusing for most Protestants and most Southern Baptists because the way that the interaction happens is that Satan is actually in heaven. 
and is speaking to God. And uh, God asks him, where have you been? And Satan basically says, you know, I've been going between the earth and heaven. And God says, uh, have you thought or have you considered my most faithful Job? And that gets into this whole thing where it's where Satan is saying, Job only loves you because you provide for him. And that's where he gets permission to fuck Job's life up from Adonai Elohim. So you do get this kind of weird idea of like, the devil or Satan, I, I'm using them interchangeably now because I just put myself back in my Southern Baptist upbringing, so I have to correct myself there. This adversarial figure, Satan, is now granted permission from God to go and interfere with this mortal's life. And it, it goes through stages, but the reason I bring up the story is because I think it really puts into perspective the weirdness of reading it as a Protestant in English, where the word Satan has been translated to the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. When more accurately, these are multiple adversarial figures or people or because not all of them were spiritual entities. Some of them are people who stood against, were an adversary to another figure in the Bible. So, but no, in an English translation, they all become the devil, which is, of course, a later English word. So that's the distinction I want to kind of put up there, um, that we have Satan, accuser in Hebrew, Devil, which is a later English word, which conflates kind of everything that is not of God. And I can go into a little bit more detail if that's not clear. And then the figure of Lucifer, who is very complicated <laughs> in a lot of ways. But the kind of cornerstone story of basically, I this is an angelic entity who didn't love the idea of being subservient to a inferior entity, mortal man. Um, basically gets uh, kicked out. Getting back to kind of the role of the devil exists in the Bible. Um, there are these mentions, but it's not as prevalent as we see it in kind of modern fire and brimstone theology of today. Um, there are, of course, there's of course the Book of Revelations in which uh, the devil is given the form of um, the seven-headed dragon, uh, and that's the coming of end times. And so we do get these, like, super apocalyptic, um, kind of, like, metal before metal existed imagery of the end of the world with the devil, and, and basically being in opposition to something at any given point, right? Yeah. So taking that context and fast-forwarding to kind of medieval Europe, we have the Inquisition. And we also have this kind of cultural shifting where demonic possession and witchcraft are these obsessive topics throughout clergy and throughout the church. And these two things become inextricably linked. The devil and witches become inextricably linked. And without getting too far into kind of anthropology of the role of magic throughout culture in the world, any culture in which there is 
a magical tradition, there's typically going to be a figure who is using magic for quote-unquote evil or harmful ways. This is a, It's a stock character in folktales, in religions around the world. And for Europe, it was the witch. Being a witch was not a good thing. These were not healing people who were just misunderstood. They were people that were being interpreted as the stock figure of a witch. Being a witch yeah. was a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of traditional cultures, being a witch is still a bad thing. Um, being seen as someone who does bad magic makes you a scary person. Um, so that's a really important context because I think everyone has kind of, not everyone, I don't want to make generalizations, but there is a very large misconception of like, oh, the people who were killed during the Inquisition or tried during the Inquisition were just misunderstood healers. And the fact of the matter is most of the people who died being accused of witches were, maybe they did a little bit of like, they would latch on to any little heretical thing they could find and turn that into witchcraft. And it was really easy to kind of cherry pick what heresy meant and what it represented. Um, you know, we have some cunning folk who have records of like, they went to trial and they got a slap on the wrist because they were like, we don't care. And then, but 10 years later, all of a sudden, oh no, we care now. And you're going to like pay a major fine and 10 years later. So we, we do have these kind of evolving views on what is good and bad when it comes to magic. Generally speaking, if something is done in the name of God, it's seen as good. Um, and if it, magic involves any non-God entity, because um, I wouldn't even say non-angelic, because angels also didn't get a free pass from the clergy. Um, but any anyone who trafficked with spirits was seen as a witch. And that's a key characteristic of what it means to be a witch. Trafficking with spirits. Working with spirits. And... I think there's a really, really interesting piece of information and data that comes out of the Scottish witch trials that really put together and helped me frame an idea of what a devil is in a historical context and also what it means for a modern witchcraft practitioner. So a lot of what I'm about to talk about comes from a talk from um, Professor Diane Perkis. And this is a free talk that anyone can listen to it's called Scottish Witches, Fairies, and the Old Religion. Uh, this is available on YouTube. I really, really recommend it. It's a great listen. And she talks about, at length, three people, some names someone's going to, some people are going to recognize some of these names, um, who all had very, very similar experiences. And it gives us an insight into how the beliefs of the accused were completely retold through the lens of the Inquisitors. So we have Isabel Gowdy, one of the most famous witches in the world, um, who we really owe a debt to in the modern witchcraft community because a lot of what we have kind of taken in for our practices do come from her confessions. Have you read this yet? The Black Book of Isabel Gowdy? Yes, Ash Williams oh. is wonderful yeah. um of course i've also read visions of isabel gowdy by emma wilby which is another good resource less accessible than the youtube video or asha's book um because it, it is pricey it is a textbook it's an academic book 
but get it through your school if you're in college yeah get it through your school go to your local library um please do not pirate pdfs it really hurts people really hurts authors and academic authors actually don't have much money at all they don't really make a i'm gonna say that like knowing professors who write for those they really don't get paid to write for them and then they like don't get royalties for it either oh no because they don't own the work but that's a whole other story yeah Um, emma Wilby has done a really really a lot of important things for the witchcraft community so um if you can't afford her book please borrow it from a friend or get it through your local library if you can please do not pirate pdfs it really does damage um any author so but those those are sources that come into this as well so diane perkis uh professor diane perkis um discusses the these three accounts specifically talking about a central figure um, Andrew Mann is another kind of very famous Scottish witch, a male witch. Um, and I just want to read this quote, which is referring to kind of a central spirit that interacted with him. Uh, Upon the rude day in harvest present year Wednesday, confess thou say Christ Sunday, proper name, come out of the snow in the likeness of a stag and the queen of Elfheim was there and others were there. So I think this is really, really important because we have an individual who is stating this spirit, Christ Sunday, has appeared to me in the form of a stag coming out of the snow and was present with the Queen of Elfheim. And the reason why I want to emphasize that so much is because what we later have within these accounts uh, are things like, and the devil whom they call Christ Sunday, came to them in the form of a stag. So we have this really, really clear delineation where we have a Christian voice very clearly saying, I don't care what you call this thing, that's the devil. And they do this with the Queen of Elfheim as well. They they converted with the devil, or she saith the devil whom she calleth the Queen of Elfheim. So we have just not even trying to hide it at all because it was the firm belief of the Christians. And I shouldn't say the Christians because all of these people were also Christian. Andrew Mann, Isabel Cowdy, um, and uh, Marion, I want to give her as an ancestor, I want to give her the correct name. Um, I can't find her name in my notes, but her first name was Marion and I'll make sure to correct myself later on. All three of these people give accounts of either seeing Christ Sunday specifically or this um, black stag specifically. And we have then the Inquisitors turning them consistently into the devil. And I encountered this on my own as well when I was kind of going through research for my book talking about the devil's wife. And so I'm going to jump the timeline a little bit here and talk about some modern kind of colloquial folklore, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Where in the South, there's this saying, if the sun is shining while there's a storm, it means the devil is beating his wife. Now, this is a super uncomfortable phrase. Um, it's really, really weird. And it's something that I heard every single time it was sunny while showering, living with my family. I heard it every single time as a child and nobody thought it was weird. And I always be like, who's the devil's wife, mom? And my mom would be like, oh, I don't know. And of course, there is no biblical devil's wife, right? Um, And 
there's not a whole lot of folklore actually throughout the South talking about the devil's wife. Um, there are some little like charms that you can perform to hear said beating taking place. Um, like putting a nail into a stump while the, uh, the shower is happening and putting your ear to it or, um, wrapping a, a horseshoe in a white cloth and putting it on the ground and putting your ear to it, you can apparently hear this event taking place. But there's nothing about who this person is, who this spirit is. And so I utilized another Scottish witchcraft resource, the Survey of Scottish Witchcraft through the University of Edinburgh, a free resource that anyone can access. Um, I'll say it one more time. The Survey of Scottish Witchcraft through the University of Edinburgh where you can just kind of use their database and find certain things. Um, you can you can search by name of the accused. You can search by characteristic. So did the confession mention fairies? Did the confession mention animals? Did it mention um, marriage to spirits? Did it mention um, death or curses or healing? So it's a really, really wonderful resource. And through that, I was able to actually find... Um, one scant reference um, connected to Agnes Naismith and another accused witch, Elizabeth Anderson. And they're they're, they make reference to Antiochia, gentle wife of the devil. That's it. <laughs> but it's in, but again, this kind of reinforces in me this idea that, there are multiple spirits that these people are trafficking with. Multiple spirits that they are in communion with. I think Isabel Gowdy recounts 14 distinct spirits. But they're all interpreted as the devil. So when we get into the discussion of who's the devil, what is the devil, there's borderline for me no correct answer. Because there has been such a, not even a thin veneer, a huge slathering veneer of the title of devil over any spirit who is othered. And that is, on one hand, bad for historical record, bad for reconstruction, it's literal demonization. But on the other hand, if we want to kind of silver lining this, it also makes sense that witches who were the great transgressors themselves, who are in fact adversaries to the cultural norms, who are inherently queer as in strange, outsided, othered, also then get tied in with spirits who even amongst other spirits are othered, are demonized, are outcast. So when we start getting into the modern era of witchcraft. And and I'm, I really want to talk from my perspective because everyone has a very, very different perspective of this. I see devil, the word devil, as a title more so than anything else because that seems to be how it's been applied. I utilize it in my personal practice to refer to almost any spirit who initiates witches. And I think this is also a good time to, we talked about definitions earlier about devil, Satan, Lucifer. Let's talk about definitions for witches and my perspective in this. And in, in my perspective, it's also my bias. Um, for me, a witch 
is not generally just someone who practices magic. A witch is someone who practices a certain set of skills that have been typically associated with witchcraft and the practices therein are not what combination of those practices put together matter a lot less to me than the transgressive or even just wild aspects, the uncontained aspects of magic, because that's what sets witches apart. If we want to just broaden the definition of harmful magic, because that's the traditional distinguishing line, you know, what makes someone a folk magician, what makes someone a cunning man and not a witch. They work for their community. They work for healing. Witches are almost consistently aligned with malefic magic. And even in time periods where quote unquote uh, beneficic magic becomes a punishable offense, it's normally because it's going to be a gateway to worse things. Um, this actually happens in the very, very famous Salem witch trials. Um, the name escapes me, but she was a very, very prominent figure. And in the TV show Salem, she's actually the main character. Um, so maybe we can Google that real quick and figure that out. But um, this woman, in the height of the Salem witch trials, utilizes an old form of divinatory uh, folk magic um, baking a cake with urine in it and feeding it to the dogs to try and identify who the witches in town were. And I don't remember if it was Cotton Mathers directly. Um, I do have his testimony over here somewhere. He wrote a book. It's not good. Um, I, it might've been Cotton Mathers himself who basically told her, you can't do witchcraft to counteract witchcraft. And that was a very puritanical idea because that's not consistent throughout all Christianity across the globe, right? Um, it really depends where you are and when you are. Um, bringing it back, right? I'm a, I'm a rambler and I try to connect the threads as much as I can because I, I, I love these little tangents, but they can get confusing. Witches... When you take on that mantle, you are taking on the mantle of what makes a witch different than just a magical practitioner. There's a wildness to it. There's an uncontainedness to it. There's an inherent danger in the same way that there's a danger to working with herbs. There's yeah, you don't have to be... You, you can practice magic without practicing witchcraft. You can practice mysticism without practicing witchcraft. So, you know, the distinction is important. I think that many people throughout the years... Now, I have a... I do have a different opinion than what contains a witch you know um there are people that are going to disagree with me but i do think that um witch is a self-assigned title um because at the end of the day only you know what your practice is right mm -hmm. so um anyone who believes they are a witch can carry that mantle if they so choose to um because i can't look at you and and tell definitively yes or no do you do these certain practices or believe these certain things you know not all witches um believe in the devil not all witches oh, believe sure. in xyz um but at the end of the day i can't assign you that title nor can i take it away from you and so that's where the community gets confusing is because we see these practices like um blowing out birthday candles okay people will be like oh that's witchcraft it's not inherently witchcraft. No. It's, you know, um, is it a folk practice? Yes. Um, but 
is it witchcraft? And and you know, I I hate to say it's not. It's it's a magical practice, but it's not a witchcraft practice. And so um, the community is a little liberal with applying the word witchcraft to because we're in modern times, right? So um, if something seems mystical. Yeah, you can say it's it's witchcraft or it's witchy or whatever you're going to say, but that doesn't make it witchy. But at, at the end of the day, I do believe that wearing the mantle of the witch is up to the individual practitioner. Um, and it, it is most of the time someone who stands in their power. I'm, you know, there's tons of people who are um, witches that don't believe in uh, malefic uh, witchcraft. And that's that's the thing that that is that is in existence you know what i mean so um who am i to say that you can or can't be a witch and that what is or isn't witchcraft um do i have if you told me that you practiced you know traditional witchcraft and that you firmly disbelieved in certain things then i might tell you oh, it's actually not traditional witchcraft or if you said you were right. wiccan and you didn't you know, you were a Wiccan, but you didn't believe X, Y, Z, and you hated Gerald Gardner, and you never go to circle, and you, you know, like, there's, there's some critiques. You could be Wiccan and, and not like Gerald Gardner, but if you say you're Wiccan, but you're not initiated, you hate Gerald Gardner, you don't do any of the Wiccan rites, um, I'd say maybe you're not Wiccan. Um, maybe you're, like, broadly neo-pagan, and that Wicca just happened to be your doorway into the community. So, you know, parsing down the actual words to get you to the right place is important. And I, and I definitely want to preface, and I've said this multiple times, I have strong convictions on what it means to be a witch, but I also don't give a shit who calls themselves a witch because it has no bearing on me whatsoever. The, the caveat to that is if you are going to take on the mantle of the witch, you need to know this history and you need to, I, I think you need to know this with, this is my opinion. It is my opinion. You need to know this history and you need to ask yourself, why do I want, or why am I carrying this history? Cause you carry it with you. When you call yourself a witch, it is my firm stance that the spirits key into that. And the spirits of witchcraft are not necessarily kind. I, that's oh, yes, another... yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're the nicest bunch of people I've ever met. Nah, go through a spirit initiation. I know you're fucking with me, but for, for everyone else, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, we, we can't assume, we can't assign our moral or ethical values to spirits. No, we can't assign our moral or ethical values to spirits, or to magic, or to deities. That's my opinion, is that... Okay, so this is, and I'll probably cut this. This is probably going to be Patreon only. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that believe that um, you can't do magic that affects the free will of others. And that's the whole point of witchcraft, is that it does affect the free will of others. Witchcraft inherently forces your will onto the world at the point in which you cast your spell or do your little incantation or whatever the fuck you're doing okay at the point in which you're calling in spirits to perform an act for you um or you're binding your will into something else you are changing the free will of another person a situation whatever's going on so um you know could you do magic and mysticism and not affect the free will of others yes is it witchcraft i don't know debatable um 
Yeah, I think, again, uh, call yourself whatever you want. Know the history of it. There's no rush. And that's the thing is that if you're a witch, you're kind of like a witch for life. Um, And if you aren't a witch for life, then you never really were a witch. So if you're coming into this, it's a lifelong journey. You can relax into it. You can heal your trauma and continue on your journey until you get to that point in which you're ready. Um, There's there's no, I don't remember why I started saying that. No, but I think it leads into something important because- you do not, you're not obligated. And this is something I think a lot of people can get confused about me. And it's because people make assumptions um, that because I engage with the Bible, I engage with devil figures and I engage with Christianity, that that means I believe that everyone has to. And I think this is such a basic thing. (laughs) Don't make assumptions. (laughs) And just because I do something doesn't mean I believe everyone else needs to. Um, what I do believe everyone needs to do is know the Christian history because Christianity has shaped everything around us. And if we want to talk about religious trauma for a bit, like I was raised Southern Baptist. I knew from a young age that I was queer. Um, I was almost sent to conversion therapy. Uh, Thankfully, my mother thought that all therapy would have converted me because being gay is a mental illness. So she didn't really look that hard. My mother was like, oh, you're gay. I'm for the listeners. And just because this is a journey I'm going on now, I'm not gay. Um, I am a bisexual non-binary person. Um, I probably should have said that at the, at the top so that I can get pronouns correct. Cause I'm just now to the place where I'm like, Hey, I want people to use my pronouns. <laughs> I have it. I have it. You know, this is a hot tip for anyone. Anytime one of my friends changes their pronouns, I put it in their, like in the contact of my phone, I put it next to their very first name so that every time I see their name, like while I'm texting them, I see their proper pronouns so that it helps me adjust. I love that. I'm, this is a new journey for me. I've identified as non-binary for a long time, but had a lot of um, imposter syndrome because I present male um, because of my life where I live and my safety. Um, I We live in the South. Yeah. We, it's, I, it's not, it's not open here. Like, look, as, as everyone under, everyone thinks they understand Florida and until you've lived in Florida, you don't understand Florida because here's the thing um, where I live is super progressive, super liberal, super gay, it is. We have like the one of the largest cities of gay people in America. Um, but where you live, it's really extremely conservative. It's very, very Christian. Um, it's very old school Southern. It's also just old. Old. Median age but- is 70. <laughs> Median age is 70. Uh, it's like the whole state. But um, you, so, you know, the state of Florida is very big and it's very, um, unless you've been here, you don't really understand why our politics look the way they do is because half the state is the retired conservatives of America. And the other half is super densely populated liberal cities like Miami and Palm beach and Fort Lauderdale and Tallahassee where they're super, super, super densely populated. But the rest of the state, it's a massive state. It's one of the largest, um, the rest of the state is extremely conservative 
very, very red. So um, being openly non-binary would be very, very difficult in any other part of the state other than basically like where I am. So it, it makes sense that you, you know, you're just starting this journey. Um, and it makes sense, you know, that's one of the mantles that, you know, to, to bring it back, um, the mantles of a witch is, could you openly be a witch where you are and not face any backlash? Could you be, could you be you? And if you couldn't, that's something to look at um, with this, you know, is like, I'm super, both of us, we've written books. We're super publicly available. Um, and still at the end of the day, I can't go into my work. Well, now I can because I work for a metaphysical store, but before I couldn't go into my workplace and be like, this is who I am and this is what I do. And this is what I believe. Right. Um, because Florida is an at will state. You're getting fired for that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, the idea of religious protection is a joke uh, for pagans for occultists um it, it really truly is a joke and it actually kind of getting into the idea of politics really does tie into a point that i want to bring up which is the role of satanism uh within the conversation of the devil and this is more of a shout out than anything um but there's a lot of really amazing satanic organizations um yes. who just absolutely do so much for our religious freedoms and our protection from religion. Um, I, I really have a lot of appreciation for Satanism and I get very, very upset about how the pagan community treat treats our, our, our satanic brothers, sisters, and siblings. Well, the pagan community doesn't, I feel like overall when you've, a lot of people very first enter um, and they kind of stay in that very first enter stage for a while um, and kind of percolate in it. And they, while they're unlearning, unburdening from their previous uh, background. So there's a lot of confusion. The difference between Satanism, Luciferianism, Diabolism, there mm -hmm. people come in and they're like, what's the difference? Like, I thought they were all the same thing because at that point they haven't, um, begun to untangle the devil, Satan, Lucifer, horned God, which we didn't even mention horned God, but that, that is a very important part of this conversation. So, you know, they're still unraveling that. How are they going to unravel? Because people come in and they're like, oh, the devil's not real because they, they renounce Christianity. They're like, the devil's not real. And, okay, well, the devil's not real, but then you start getting into, maybe you fall into occultism and now you're dealing with Goetia. And so you said the devil's not real, but are demons real? And if demons are real, are angels real? And and if angels are real, how far how far back are you in the rabbit hole until you've come full circle back to, okay, maybe the devil's real. And then you have, you know, diabolism. And that's working with the devil. I, so really the thing that irks me here is the renunciation, not just of the devil, but also of the, the God of Abraham, right? There is an, a renunciation within so much of paganism that they're not real. Listen, if you can believe in a God for every direction of wind, for every lake, there's a God for, I want to sell this thing. Help me out. There's a God for my coffee's too hot. My, there's a God for my coffee's too cold. Then there's room for the Christian devil 
and the Christian God. And there's you, room for the demiurge. And oh God, we're not getting into Gnosticism. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's not well, happening today. One day we'll get into Gnosticism. I love Gnosticism. I have so many Gnostic texts. I love oh. Gnosticism. Adore it. We we stand the Nag Hammadi Library here. Um, but no, so Satanism as a religious organization, specifically like the one that I always like to give a shout out to is the temp- the Satanic Temple um, for the work that they did in um, taking down, without actually taking it down, um, the Ten Commandments from a, I just had this pulled up so that I would get all this right and then I immediately closed it out. But basically a courthouse was going to erect the Ten Commandments on the courthouse property, really, really big stone tablets. And the satanic temple was like, cool, that's religious freedom. We're going to put a statue of Baphomet holding hands of children there too, because it's religious freedom. Because you said that we all are treated equal. And if you're going to have one religion, you're going to have them all. It was so like then, Oklahoma or Nebraska or something, right? Um, I just pulled it back so Texas, up. Oklahoma, Nebraska, somewhere over there. It's Midwesty. I... I thought I would have it here on the um, thing that is not here. So, but that the location is less important than what they do, which is whenever this hypocrisy of religious freedom being only Oklahoma religion- City, Oklahoma, but it is important. It is important where where it happened because these are the states that we're about to see abortion bans popping up, and so. Um, the Satanic Temple is really one of the organizations that are helping fight for safe abortions. Yes. Um, so it, it is relevant where it occurred. You know what? You're right. I, I recant. I recant my statement. They, they're doing amazing work. And I believe the, the Temple of Satan specifically is a atheistic organization. Yes. Um, and quite a few Satanists, most of the Satanists that I have met have been atheistic. Um, but there are theistic Satanists, um, there's Luciferians, and most of these folks now, not being a Satanist, I don't want to represent Satanism in an incorrect way, um, so I want to put that out there. Uh, Luciferians, I think, get more into the idea of Satan as the, or Lucifer as the Enlightener, as the Lightbringer, as kind of breaking of the boundaries, um, of embracing kind of this carnal knowledge satanism is more of in my understanding um very like pro ego um embracing the carnality of things more of the devil as a symbol and then also there is kind of this political leaning towards a lot of these organizations that we as alternative religions or alternative metaphysical practices however you want to word it we owe a debt to satanists and so we can't cut off our nose to spite our face because we are scared of the satanic panic of the seventies. Again, I get it. I get the religious trauma aspect as well. Hello, Southern Baptist, uh, queer, all of my witchcraft books were found. Lots of bad things happened because of it. I have an interesting relationship with my Christianity. I have a very interesting relationship, especially amongst uh, folkloric witches. Um, and I'm not saying that everyone has to have that relationship, but do not shortcut somebody else or 
discriminate, because I have seen very real discrimination from pagans towards Satanists, or even just demon, uh, I can never say the word words, demonolators. Demonolators. I've seen so much discrimination towards these people who fit right into our community, but are outcast because even our modern occult spaces are so exclusionary. We have all the space in the world for someone who believes that they are the reincarnation of King Arthur and people should be putting them on a throne and giving them Excalibur and paying for their rent because they are King Arthur. Okay, whatever, we accept that. But you can't accept Satanists because you have so much baggage that you have to project it onto other people. So that is, that's a rant, and I'm not even going to apologize for going on that rant because it really is something that pisses me off. That we're engaging in something that's so despicable for a group of people who belong in our community and who have made a lot of ways for us to be safer legally because of their actions. Um, so there was another question in there. <laughs> I think you had wanted to talk about the distinction between Satanism, demonolatry, and kind of the devil in the role of folkloric and traditional witchcraft, right? We kind of touched on it all, but I do want to side note mention in a few, if we can do it quickly, um, right. is the, um, you know, tradcraft uh, version of the devil, because it comes up in like most traditional witchcraft books. And um, as someone who personally outlies in the traditional witchcraft community, like I'll read the books, but I don't consider what I do traditional witchcraft at all. Um that's always one of those aspects that I never connect to. Um, and, you know, so when I read these books, I'm like, ah, cool. Like, how can I adapt this? Um, especially because for me personally, my main spirit uh, grouping that I work with um, is, you know, very land-based. And so I, you know, it's my opinion, and this is for a different episode, um, you know, a lot of people come into witchcraft and think that um, spirits work for them. They have this this idea or this, you know, mindset that like spirits are here to do things for you. And that's not the case. Um, so, you know, when I, I like I have a devotional relationship with a deity, um, it's a devotional relationship. Right. So I'm that relationship is not based on me consistently requesting things in prayer or petitioning for things to happen. Um, and so, you know, there's some like blurred boundaries on like what spirit work actually is, but it's a different, different conversation. But yeah. So when I see these uh, texts, I'm always like, well, how could I adapt that for what I'm doing? But yeah, you know, just touching on um, the kind of traditional witchcraft role of the folkloric devil, I think is. So something that I didn't get the chance to really talk about is, and it, it shouldn't take too long to address is the devil in folklore or the folkloric devil. So there is a distinct difference between let's say the devil as depicted or talked about in the malice maleficarum than the devil that we find in the stories that people actually tell about the devil. The devil of the malice maleficarum is again, the embodiment of evil the, the person who casts illusions 
Um, fun fact, uh, the people writing the Malice Maleficarum did not believe that the devil could actually make physical changes or that witchcraft created physical changes. It was all illusory. It was all mentalistic, um, which I think is very, very interesting um, conversation for another day, but wanted to throw it out there. Um, but he, the, the devil is all evil all the time. Whereas when we look in the folklore, the devil is kind of sometimes a little bit of of uh, the butt of the joke sometimes. Um, he's someone that you can trick. I mean, we've all heard the song Devil Went Down to Georgia. What ends up happening? The fucking guy wins the challenge. He beats the devil. And that happens a lot in folklore. The devil gets beaten. He gets tricked. Um, there is a, there's a Florida folktale about the devil um, that I will very briefly tell. The Sparknotes version is... Um, Big John, who's a figure in a lot of um, African-American folklore, is flying around West Hell, which is a suburb of Florida. Um, and he spies the devil's daughter and she's beautiful. And so he decides that he wants to like shack up with her and all this good stuff. The devil says, you can't be with my daughter. And so John rips off the devil's arms and beats the devil with his own arm. And we see this kind of like easily tricked or buffoonish devil in a lot of folk tales. And it's an interesting You need to be able to beat your adversary. Hmm? You need to be you need to be able to beat your adversary. And you need to be challenged. And I think that's a role that the devil fulfills in all of these stories. He is always very cunning and very smart, but somehow the protagonist always outsmarts him. And it really goes to show that how, how advanced the protagonist is. If you look in Jack tales, um, kind of like the eponymous Jack, right? The, um, Jack, the giant killer or, um, the Southern Jack tales throughout the American South, this kind of the fool figure goes out and meets some kind of supernatural challenge. And even though he's not the brightest bulb in the shack, he ends up winning out. And I think that is the role of the devil today. When I, again, we're getting into territory now of my opinion and my experience based opinions. Um, my unverified personal gnosis, which I'm, I'm, I talk about it a lot. I've written chapters on it, but I'm kind of over at this point. Um, because of course it fucking is. It's my experience. Um, the term devil refers specifically to a spirit who brings you into the craft. And so in traditional or I, I can't really speak on traditional witchcraft because I've never been in a traditional witchcraft. That's why I started using the term folkloric witchcraft um, for Folks that don't know, there used to be this kind of huge confusion between capital traditional witchcraft, so capital T, capital W, and lowercase traditional witchcraft, uh, where uppercase signifies you're a part of a tradition, very similar to Wicca, right? Gardnerian Wicca is a tradition. Um, 1734 is a traditional witchcraft. Cultus Sabati is traditional witchcraft. So a lineaged initiatory um, witchcraft practicing group that has a very specific matter of, of doing things. And then lowercase traditional witchcraft, which, and already I'm sure people are like, what the fuck is he talking about? Because it was so confusing. 
Um, no, this was like this was the this was just after the era of the beef between the Gardnerians and Alexandrian Wiccas online. Like those, they they used to beef online all the time. There was we've had a lot of dumb discourse. This was part of that dumb discourse era. Yeah, well, and I don't, I wouldn't even call it dumb discourse because it was just like confusing because nobody just fucking used a different word. Uh, and because I don't think I said it, lowercase t traditional witchcraft used to mean you were basing your practice on historical things, um, trial records, folk tales, things like that. Um, you normally eschewed kind of new age approaches that were often filled with misinformation um, and appropriative things. You were also normally getting involved with animism and some of the older... There's a flavor of edgelordy here. You're avoiding it. There was a flavor of edgelord. No, there was. Yeah, no, I I won't avoid it. It's (laughs) in the same way that Wicca has kind of a... Has the love and light kind of... What did they used to call Fluffy bunny. Fluffy bunny. Yeah, Yeah, that was a big thing. There was definitely reactionary traditional witchcraft, but there's reactionary in anything at its core. I only like recognize because at the point in which I became aware that this discourse was happening, people were already calling it tradcraft. They were like separating it out by that, like tradcraft. Right. But even then it was still so confusing. So I just started using the term folkloric witchcraft because I felt like that made more sense to talk about witchcraft that was based on folklore and tying in bioregionalism. And um, now a lot of people use either folkloric witchcraft or folk witchcraft. I have not seen the lowercase t traditional witchcraft label used nearly as much. Um, and I'm, I, I have a little chip on my shoulder because of that, because I think I played a little bit of a role in that. Um, if nothing else, if I can be proud of just us not being confusing as hell when we're talking about what we do, that's something I enjoy. Um, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can support the podcast. Uh, we do have a Patreon. It's right now it's being run through my Patreon, so I'll witchcraft, um, but it might be breaking off into its own Patreon pretty soon. Um, if you want to follow me, I'm Temperance Alden, but you know that because you're listening to my podcast. So where can they find you, Aaron? I am just on Instagram. So you can find me at A-A-R-O-N-O-B-E-R-O-N on instagram.com at aaron Oberon. 10 out of 10 recommend uh southern cunning it it is one of i really love the book um it's one of my favorites um it's definitely one of the best ones i read this year even though it didn't come out this year i I only read it this year so um it's one of my favorites that i read for the year so thank you for supporting our podcast and we'll talk to you guys later Bye.